0: That's investher, H E R, con.com, promo code 100 best ever to get $100 off your ticket. The
1: old adage is location, location, location. When it comes to income producing properties, I would say the best adage is cash flow, cash flow, cash flow.
0: As a loyal best ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R dot com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Farrellis. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Rich Kent. How you doing, Rich?
1: I'm doing well.
0: I'm glad to hear that, and welcome to the show. A little bit about Rich, he oversees Avastone's capital markets operations. He has more than 30 years of experience in the financial services, real estate investment in capital markets, completed transactions, and commercial properties valued at more than 2 billion buckaroos based in Laguna Niguel, California. So with that being said, Rich, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? I'd be
1: happy to. Avastone is a buyer of multi tenant industrial properties nationwide. We've been in operation for about four years. We started buying properties in 2014. And today we have 19 industrial business parks, all multi tenant in a number of different states, including Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, Columbus, Ohio, California, and Texas. Prior to starting Avastone, if I go way back, I actually started in the financial services industry. As a stockbroker at Payne, Weber, Jackson & Curtis back in 1979, which obviously is dating myself, <laughs> you know, it's actually a pretty good place to start in financial services because as a stockbroker of financial services, you really get in touch with people's ideas and needs of investing and what the different options are and portfolio management and optimizing out asset selection. But in the 1980s, I went to work for Drexel Burnham Lambert. And I was in the institutional mortgage-backed securities group, buying up Fannie Mae's and Freddie Mac's and hedging out pipeline interest rate risk in the financial futures market. In later years, I worked for Solomon Spit Barney's commercial real estate group in New York City, doing commercial mortgage-backed security loans all over the country. After the merger with Citibank, I went to work for what became Deutsche Bank Berkshire Mortgage, making large Fannie Mae loans on large apartment complex, and senior facilities all over the country. During the downturn in commercial real estate about 10 years ago, I was very fortunate to be one of two people hired by auction.com, which was then REDC, the large single-family house auction firm. I was hired with Dan Culler, who's one of my partners now, to start the commercial division at auction.com. And we started an online auction for distressed commercial assets, both REOs and loans, And we grew that to several billion dollars in auctions. It was a very successful platform. I really enjoyed working there. It was a really good place to ride out the storm in real estate. But right about 2013, we saw the market starting to turn around. And the reason we knew that is that we had fewer and fewer assets at auction. Mm. So we elected to start our, our own firm and jump on what we believed at the time to be a very good bull market in commercial real estate, which has proved to be correct. And we specialized in the industrial space for a lot of reasons that we could talk about.
0: Please, yeah. I'm very curious to know why you specialize in the industrial space.
1: Well, what we like, now everybody is pretty aware right now that industrial is the new darling of commercial real estate.
0: Real quick, maybe not everyone listening knows even what industrial space what that is. So can you give an example of what that is and why they are, in your words, the darling?
1: Sure. When most commentators or financial magazines talk about industrial, they're really talking about in today's market, what we call the big box or the big bomber spaces that Amazon would be in, Costco, FedEx, very large distribution, logistic warehouse operations. After all, look how successful Amazon and the internet's been. That has been a huge boom to industrial properties. But those are the big single-tenant spaces. We specialize in what's called flex space. And flex space is a combination of office and industrial in the back. And you see them in most major cities. You'll see these type properties. They're not real sexy. They're single-story. They're concrete tilt-up. Again, offices in the front, warehouse, roll-up barrages in the back. But it's really where small businesses go to grow. And we love that space right now because so much of the economy is based on small businesses. In fact, we were just looking at this the other day. 47% of all employee growth is in small businesses, businesses under, under people. So we like that space. We like it also because we could buy these properties at a fraction of the replacement cost. So if you think about it, these properties are not expensive to build. They're single-story concrete tilt-up, but they take a lot of land. Mm -hmm. So where are you going to find 30 acres of land along a major highway in Atlanta that you could hope to buy right now at a good price? But number two, even if you could buy it, you would not build this type of product. So everything that we see and that we buy – was built in the nineteen nineties or maybe the early two thousands, it is not getting constructed today. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we go into major markets and we like to buy in NFL type cities because when you have a robust city, you have a lot of different economic drivers, and you're not building this property type anymore, typically we see occupancy levels right between ninety and ninety-five percent in these submarkets. And again because you're not billing it, where are the tenants going to go when their leases come due? So we get a lot of retention on our rollover. We like the shorter term leases. They're usually three to five years because that's what allows us to build value over a period of time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I know you're really active in the multifamily space. Well, that's another great market because every year all the leases come due. So you could adjust your rents to the activity in the market.
0: Yeah, so the business is able to get a good foundation and they're all set up. And then now three years has come up and assuming that they are doing well, then they'll want to stay there and continue to grow and be there permanently.
1: Correct. And before we buy any asset, we interview the tenants. And the tenants say to us, we don't have very many options where to move to. So we like that. And again, if you're not building this property type anymore, that puts pressure on rents.
0: Now, with not building this property type anymore, and by the way, I loved how you described the flex space, office in the front, industrial in the back. It reminded me of you being the real estate mullet, business in the front, party in the back. (laughs) I immediately thought of that. But am I imagining things? I, I thought that there's a lot of Industrial being built for data centers and things like that.
1: Exactly. That is where data centers and the big distribution warehouses, those property types are being built. What you're not seeing built are these flex industrial business parks.
0: Describe a handful of tenants. What is their business?
1: Well, when I say that we appeal mainly to small business, that is true for maybe 75% of our tenants. The other 20 to 25 are Fortune 500 companies. I'll give you some examples. CVS Pharmacy. If anybody orders medicine from CVS online, it probably comes from our property in San Antonio, Texas. They're one of the tenants in a multi-tenant project there. So that would be an example. General Dynamics has space with us in one of our Tampa properties. Subaru is a big tenant of ours in one of our Columbus, Ohio properties. So. We have those kind of tenants, but we also have a lot of smaller businesses. It could be, if you look at the construction trades, where do plumbing companies set up? Where do carpenters set up? Where do a lot of those supply companies set up? We also have smaller tenants that have their own online distribution. Maybe they sell a product at retail stores, but we don't want to take it home and you order it. It comes out of one of their spaces in a project like ours. So. In that respect, we are the last spoke in that big distribution network of online shopping. We have medical testing facilities. Some of our projects have dialysis centers because they're easy for people to walk in and out of. They're single story. There's no elevator. So any small business that you can think of from a bakery to Joe's Pool Supply are housed in our properties.
0: I've got a lead on a deal for you. I'd like to send it to you, but I'm not quite sure of your criteria. What is it?
1: So our criteria, the first major filter is it needs to be in a dynamic metropolitan area, like a Dallas, like an Atlanta. We find that you need at least a million, two million people in a metropolitan area to really mitigate a lot of your lease up risk. So that's number one. Number two, multi-tenant, and in the flex category, and that's a little bit of inside baseball, but if a project's near an airport, let's say, we'd like to see it have more a percentage of warehouse space. Because after all, why is something by the airport? They're probably in some type of delivery service. If it's in a more affluent residential area, we like to see a higher percentage of office. And that's because people that live in those areas don't like to commute into downtown if they could avoid it maybe they're an escrow company maybe they have a law firm so they will pay up for office space in their submarket if it's near their house so it depends on where something is we'd like to see 3 to 5 year leases as i mentioned that gives us the ability to adjust rents to the market in tight growing markets that's another thing we'd like to see occupancy at least 90% and stabilized. We don't worry so much about new construction because I just mentioned they're really not building it. But those would be the major factors. Then second, we target maybe eight to twenty-five million dollars in purchase price. Now that's pretty key because we like to be above some of the local buyers in the market, the so-called mom-pa buyers, but we want to be underneath the institutional radar. Once you get over 25 to 30 million in asset size. Now you're competing with some of the big institutions and their cost of funds is a whole heck of a lot lower than ours. We also like to get at least an 8% cap rate going in so that we could pay our investors anywhere from, let's say a six and a half to an 8% cash on cash from day one. So in other words, we like stabilize, but we don't like a lot of lease up risk. Our feeling is at this point in the cycle, If this type of property has a lot of leasing risk, in other words, it's 30% empty, there's probably a problem that we can't solve. So you know, we like Like it to be, well, we're looking at a property and I think it was in Phoenix and it's a really nice property, seemed to have a pretty good location, but it had uh, about a 40% vacancy rate. So we're asking ourselves, wow, that seems pretty high. So we talked to one of the property managers in the area, and he said, yeah, nobody wants that project. They're all going across the street to the other project. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Heather, there's always a reason, just like you'd find in the multifamily space. Why isn't somebody going into a certain project? There's always a reason. And that reason is not usually something we can solve because we're in a good market right now. Now, if it was 2008, you could just take a dart and throw it at anything and probably make money on it. So we're sensitive about how a project has done.
0: Even with purchasing a 90% plus occupancy property, I'm sure there's been a challenging property that maybe the tenants weren't what you thought they were, or maybe the economic occupancy wasn't what you ended up wanting it to be. Can you tell us about a property like that?
1: You bring up a really good point. When we buy a project, we do extensive due diligence but a buyer will never know 100% of what's going on with the project. So we interview tenants, we do all of the appraisals, environmental, physical needs reports, but usually in that first year, we'll find out something we didn't know, and we expect that, and that's why we always build a very healthy amount of reserves, because it's a known unknown, let's just say. So we just bought a property down in Tampa Well, we actually bought two of them and we crossed them in one transaction with one loan. Two great projects, but they were at 88% occupancy in a market that's about 94% occupied. So we knew there was some problems with the property and we know what the problems were. The current owner that we were buying from was not doing any capital improvements and not fixing deferred maintenance. So one thing that we were a little bit surprised about on that is that how upset some of the tenants really were. And we'd lost some tenants. We asked some other tenants to leave because they weren't paying their rent or they were behind. But we went in there and we made millions of dollars of capital improvements. We improved the property. We weeded out the bad tenants. And now we're actively releasing the space. So that would be a scenario that does occur and we expect it to occur and we reserve around it. But to your point, we don't know what the mindset is of all of the tenants, and we never know when we buy it. But over time, in a good market, we're able to improve not just the project, but the credit worthiness of the smaller businesses in the project, because we just look for more credit worthy tenants.
0: If you hadn't focused on multi-tenant industrial properties that are in the flex category, what would you have focused on?
1: That's a difficult question, but let me answer it like this. Some of the best advice that I could give people is really look at replacement cost. That'll tell you whether you're going to have competition from new development. So while I really like multifamily, in a lot of markets, like the market that we're based in, apartments are creating above the replacement cost. And as a result, there's new construction all over the place. I look at retail, and if it's not a grocer-anchored center... I wonder about the future of retail with online purchases. I know myself, I use Amazon. I don't like to go to the mall. Suburban Office is another product, and the TIs and Leasing Commission in Suburban Office are maybe 10 times what ours are in the industrial space. You're looking at $20 to $30 a square foot to retenant space, whereas our space retenanting is maybe $3 to $5 a square foot. I've always liked mobile home parks, but again, they're trading very rich. So it's almost like a process of elimination (laughs) that we think we picked a really good niche. Now, within our niche, we do see some possibilities. Let's just call it a vertical integration, if you will. We have a project that we bought in Atlanta, multi tenant industrial. We would have bought it even without the concept that we went into it with. And that was to take some of the vacant space in that project and turn it into what we call creative industrial space. Now, everybody's familiar with creative office space because that's what the millennial market wants. They want that open area, they want a pool table, they want a little bar, a little waterfall. Well, in this project, we are doing that with industrial space, which lends itself to that type of refitting very nicely. You can take the floors and they're concrete and you can glass the floors. You can take out the T-bar and the ceilings, and make that industrial ceiling look pretty cool. So we do see an opportunity in certain markets where there's a large millennium population to convert some of our make ready units to what we call collaborative industrial space. We also see some opportunities in potentially buying maybe abandoned factories or maybe older industrial properties and creating training facilities. See, we know there's a wave Robotics, everybody says robots are coming. The reality is robots are already here. And a lot of people are probably going to get displaced by automation and 3D manufacturing. So we see a big opportunity in creating facilities that are aimed at retraining uh, large numbers of the population for new skills in robotics, perhaps, or 3D printing. So there's those kind of opportunities.
0: When you venture into something like buying an abandoned factory and creating a training facility. How do you test that concept before jumping in and putting some money at risk?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. What we would look for, and again, this is just on a drawing board, and I hope I'm not giving a lot of people a great idea here, (laughs) uh, but we know it's coming. you,
0: You are giving a lot of people a great idea, but there's a high barrier to entry, that's for sure.
1: You know, there really is. Don't try this at home. There's a lot of nuances in industrial, and I could talk about that in a minute. A lot of the projects we have purchased, we've purchased from multifamily operators that thought they could get some extra yield in industrial and they didn't understand what they were buying. But in answer to your question, I think what you're going to find is a lot of cities, a lot of municipalities are very concerned about what could happen to the labor force in their markets as robotics take hold. So if we could find cities that have a program that are teamed up with universities for recurrent training type of operations and partner with some firms that actually provide training, our purchase of that factory would kind of like a a build-a-suit. In other words, we would do it if we had the tenant and all the component parts to go into it. And we think we could put that together.
0: Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: Like a single phrase. Okay, well, let me answer it like this. So the old adage is location, location, location. When it comes to income-producing properties, I would say the best adage is cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Concentrate on cash flow. It'll tell you what the project's worth. It'll tell you what you're going to yield on it. It'll tell you what kind of loan and what kind of debt service it could cover. So to us, if you think about the type of product that we buy, it's pretty boring. It's single story concrete tilt-up. There's no soaring glass and steel structures, but it cash flows. That's the key.
0: When you look at the underwriting for a deal, I know that's a whole long conversation, but from a high level, how do you assess the numbers on the type of property you buy?
1: Well, the first thing is we'll look at historical operating statements from the seller. And we only care about the operating statements by looking at the levels of expense. What are the taxes going to be? What does it cost you to turn on the lights? What utilities and that kind of thing. So we'll look at those historical expenses and we'll inflate those with some inflation and some of our experience because typically we'll buy in markets that we already have properties. So we know what it takes to operate these properties. But when we look at the income line, what you really want to look at is you want to look at the rent roll. What is in place right now? And not just a rent roll, which you want to get are some of the bank statements to see what the collections are, what money is actually being collected for maybe the last three to six months, because that's going to tell you what that upper income level is. So now you start to put that together in commercial and certainly in industrial. You need to have the program Argus, which will run out your expected TI's and leasing commissions every year and you need to really pay attention to those and put in very conservative assumptions and they'll vary but it'll compute what your rollover risk is what are probabilities of renewal really need to understand those numbers before you get down to the NOI number
0: we're going to do a lightning round you ready for the best ever lightning round
1: Uh, fire
0: away. (laughs) All right. First, though, a quick word from our Best Ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. See a rundown or abandoned house? Well, snap a picture with the Deal Machine app. To instantly find the owner and get in touch via direct mail, email, and phone in just 10 seconds, search Deal Machine in your app store or visit dealmachineapp.com. Okay, best ever book you've read? You know,
1: I'd have to say the best ever book I've ever read, and that's a tough one. I would say Siddhartha by Herman Hesse.
0: Best ever deal you've done that we have not talked about?
1: Well, I kind of like the deal we just bought in Atlanta called Northwest Business Center. It had every element that I've talked about, and it's in a great area of Atlanta that's starting to boom right now.
0: What's a mistake you've made on a transaction?
1: Well, it's hard to narrow that down to just one mistake. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe about you know, on, on that last, say, the,
0: the last deal you did, the Atlanta one, I'm sure there's one thing you'd rather have done differently if presented a similar opportunity in the future.
1: Well, we've only owned it for about a month now, so I have to get back to you on that. It's really hard to say, I can tell you. I mean, having been in this industry a long time, I would say just generally the biggest mistakes are not remembering that these markets are cyclical. And when there's good times, like there's good times right now, you need to tighten up your underwriting because it's not always going to be good times. And you start to see people do some crazy things. Don't do it. So the mistakes that I may have made in the past, I didn't think the market could crash as bad as it did in 2008. And you can't think that'll never happen again. You have to be prepared for that.
0: What's the best ever way you like to give back?
1: That's a really important question. Recently, my girlfriend and I filed the paperwork for a nonprofit, and we call it Aristotle's Hand. What we see is there's a lot of kids in inner city schools that are never going to college, but really could benefit from learning a vocation. And we're setting up a scholarship program to be able to get that vocational training that a lot of those kids are really going to need for the future. I think vocational training is a really big hot button. It certainly is with me right now. And I see that in our industrial properties, is that people are out there and they need skills. And we're going to give back by helping some of these people get those skills.
0: How can the best ever listeners learn more about your company and get in touch with you?
1: Avastone.com. They could find all of us right up there, what we do and how we do it and who we are.
0: Rich, I love our conversation because I love learning about an asset class I know close to nothing about. And you did a great job educating me and I'm sure some of the best ever listeners on what you look for, why you look for it why you're buying, what you're buying, and business opportunities, not only now but what you're looking for in the future. So great stuff. Thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: See a rundown or abandoned house? Well, snap a picture with the Deal Machine app to instantly find the owner and get in touch via direct mail, email, and phone in just 10 seconds. Search Deal Machine in your app store or visit dealmachineapp.com.